This is episode number 28 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, we continue our interview with Cam Huxford. Miles just asked some great questions, and Cam really gave us an insight into how Mars Hill and Ghost Ship and how all that goes together, and really just his heart for uh, worship leading and worship pastoring. It's just really encouraging. Uh, there's so much good stuff in this episode, so I hope you really enjoy it. Before we start that, though, I want to also mention that in August of this year, 2014, the Church Collective is going to go host conferences in Peru, and we are looking for people to come along with us. There's a solid core getting together, but there's room for more. So if that feels like it might be something you're interested in, God may be tugging on your heart, head over to thechurchcollective.com, click on missions, get some info there, give us your email. We would love to connect you with you. So here we go with the Church Collective, episode number 28, interview with Cam Huxford. When the when Mars Hill was planning to launch the downtown location five years ago, I was just really excited about that because we moved here to do urban ministry and we felt called to an urban setting. But at the time, the main location of Mars Hill was was Ballard, which is, I mean, it's it's pretty urban, but it's not really like in the heart of the city. It's mm-hmm. not like downtown like in the core and so it just seemed like really providential timing that as right as we were moving here they were launching a location Mm. right in the middle of the city like in the heart of downtown and so i got really excited about that and i just talked to um pastor joel and some of the other guys and said hey i really i'd really like to be a part of launching this downtown thing and so they put me in put me in touch with the lead pastor and the lead pastor and I kind of worked together and yeah, we launched it and saw it grow really fast. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy five years for sure. And then a lot of the band members, um, Fancy and Che, uh, they were just kind of, they started going to the downtown location early on, and that's how I met them. And uh, Keegan and Doug were going to other Mars Hill locations, but they ended up they ended up starting to come downtown uh, to be a part of the community there after they started playing in Ghost Ship. So yeah, it was totally God really orchestrated the whole thing. Like it wasn't something we were just assigned to. It was totally like God was doing something in downtown Seattle. He put a calling on my heart at the same time, and really everybody in the band ended up there because they were just called to the mission to reach the city by being a part of the downtown church. That's awesome. That's great. Um, and when did when did you guys open up the new downtown location with the the building that you're you're sitting in right now? That was. Let's see, exactly a year ago, because we launched in the new space in on Christmas Eve a year ago. So yeah, we we <clears throat> we were trying to find a bigger building. Um, 
the story of this building is really cool. I can just tell you that real quick. But this building yeah. belonged to Seattle's first church. So when wow. like pioneers settled Seattle, there was one pastor, and uh, he started a church. It was First United Methodist Church, and uh, they eventually built this building. And this building was almost torn down and replaced with a skyscraper a few years ago. But the city kind of rallied together, and it was a mix between... It wasn't all Christians. It was like secular people. There was like government people, all different kinds of people. Basically, people from all the different parts of Seattle came together, and they started this... uh, What do you call it? They... they started a movement they called Save Our Sanctuary because it belonged to Seattle's first church. And so they basically rallied and, and kept it from being torn down. And so now it's, now it's a historical landmark and we get to use it. And we were super excited about that, about God <clears throat> continuing to use this old building as a place where the gospel could go out from the middle of the city. And so, yeah, yeah we, we launched Christmas Eve a year ago in this building and the building's supposed to hold like 1200 people, but we had 3000 people on Christmas Eve. There were people, there were people standing on the porch, standing in the aisles. It was crazy. Wow. That's, that's awesome. That's such a cool story about the building. That's, that's awesome that even non-Christians came together to save the church. Yeah, totally. And we actually, we were, I guess it was last November that we were recording our record. So this mm-hmm. was only a few months before we would launch in this building. And so it was the dead of winter, and we had just gotten the lease for this building, and we were really excited about this story and just what God was doing. So we decided to track a lot of our record in this room because the reverb, it's a giant dome, and uh, the reverb just sounds beautiful, like it's a beautiful-sounding space. So we decided to record in here, so all of the reverb on our record is actually from this room. It's not like oh, that's awesome. Not like done in post. So we tracked all the vocals here. We tracked pipe organ in here. We just put a mic in the back of the room and tracked the giant pipe organ. It was really fun, but it was dead of winter. There was no heat, and so me and Brian, the producer, were just like freezing in here. We're like, it has got to be colder in here than it is outside. I mean, it was. <laughs> it was amazing, but it was totally worth it. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's yeah. That's super cool that you guys were able to use that space. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, I have a question now. Um, we kind of put this out to some of our <clears throat> people that are involved with the site. Um, kind of threw it out there if they wanted to ask any questions. And so I've got a couple questions from that. Um, but one of our contributors, um, PJ. Uh, he had a question for you, and he said, uh, what does it look like to be the worship director for the downtown community, and how do you collaborate with the other worship directors of other campuses? Yeah, that is a really good question. That's what I thought. <laughs> <clears throat> it's a really good question because I've actually worked in two different situations. I've worked at a big multi-site church where the worship directors weren't collaborating, and then I've worked here at Mars Hill a big multi-site church where the worship directors are collaborating. And I've really enjoyed um, 
seeing what happens when you do collaborate. So the way we do it is every church has its own worship director. Um, We're not actually, we're not like a centralized team of worship directors that are kind of sent out to different places. Like every church has its own kind of group of elders. Every church has its own worship director. So the churches kind of function autonomously in that way, like under their own leadership. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, but we have, we've collab, we've been able to collaborate over the years in a really uh, neat way. We basically have always had a first among equals. Like, you know, there's about 10 of us now. We're all in the same, you know, we're, we're doing the same job in different locations. So, we're kind of we're all doing the same thing. We are, I guess, in the same place on the org chart. If you had to look at it, um, but there's always been somebody who's been kind of leading, but not leading with authority, uh, but leading with influence. And I've actually learned a lot seeing that happen. For a while, it was Tim Smith. He uh, he had a band called Ex Nihilo. I don't know if you ever heard that band, but for a long time, it was Tim Smith, kind of just making sure we gathered together, uh, making sure we were all on the same page with um, vision and we were all moving in the same direction. And he kind of led us with influence, like we didn't report to him, but he just kind of was able to influence us and keep us cohesive and keep us tight. Um, and that was really cool. And now now Dustin Kinsrew functions in that role. He's um, He's one of the worship directors, but he is what we call a first among equals, meaning we all have the same job, but he's he's leading in a way by doing that same thing, like making sure that we all have the same vision, that we're all um, on the same trajectory, you know, like going the, the same direction. And so it's been really fun to collaborate with a bunch of guys who are on the same mission as you, doing the same job as you at the same church, um, but doing it in just a wide variety of contexts, you know, like when we get together for worship director retreat, there's guys from Albuquerque there. Um, there's guys from Orange County there. And then there's a bunch of us who are from Seattle, but it's just really cool to see. <clears throat> it's actually really shown me how cool it is to be one church in different locations. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of the multi-site thing seeing it work like that, like we're, we have unity on mission, you know, we have unity in that we're trying to make disciples and that we're trying to uh, proclaim the gospel. But there's a, we also have variety in the context, you know, we're, we're in way different contexts from each other. Our bands all sound really, really different. And so it's just kind of a cool picture of the body of Christ, you know, unity of mission, but all different kinds of people doing that mission in, in different ways, different genres. So yeah, that's kind of how it works. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. I thought that was a great question. So I wanted to make sure I asked you about that. Um, yeah. And then the other one that I had was from one of our, uh, readers from the site, um, Tina Sparks. She, uh, I had seen this video too a while back and she had watched it. Um, the one where the, you guys did the story behind the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of uh, a little bit older now, but, um, yeah, so she, um, just through that story of, um, 
of you guys, and like you said, you're kind of struggling with anxiety and, and that. So her, her questions are, um, how has your music ministry impacted during that time? And uh, how are you able to push through in corporate worship, um, given all that you are experiencing? And then for the people who haven't seen the video, um, maybe you could speak to a little bit of like the background of that song and how it was able to uh, minister to the people in your church. Yeah, The Revelation of Jesus Christ is a song we wrote a few years ago on our first EP Mm -hmm. uh, based on Revelation 21. And the story behind the song is basically that my wife and I had just suffered through a miscarriage. And it it really kind of rocked us. Uh, After we had our first child, our daughter Riley, we were trying... You know, years later, we're trying to have a second, and we had a miscarriage. And it was really, I mean, as it is for everyone who goes through that, it was really rough. And it was uh, a hard time for my wife. But there was that going on, and there was also other things going on, like financial hardship and just different things. And basically, in that suffering... um my anxiety really surfaced. Like, I think I'd had anxiety for a long time and I had maybe been kind of holding it in or just kind of ignoring it or just kind of like trying to pretend like everything was normal. But when we, when we went through that season of suffering, I guess I got to the point where I couldn't really fake it anymore. It just kind of came to the surface. And I basically realized that I just wasn't believing that God was in control. I think the miscarriage really like pushed me on that issue. Uh, basically, I was kind of called to task on the question of like, is God in control? And through starting to wrestle with that, I kind of realized I was, I was dealing with that in all different areas of my life. I just I was getting really anxious about a lot of different things, about work stuff, about home stuff about ministry, music. <clears throat> I was having a lot of anxiety and I started to realize it was st- it was the root of it was just not believing that God was in control. And one day shortly after the miscarriage had happened, I was reading Revelation 21 and I was just really struck by the the image of what it looks like for God to reign over all things and be perfectly in control of all things. So like as I'm here on earth, kind of, (coughs) as I'm here trying to believe that God is actually in control of my life, I'm reading this passage that basically shows what's actually going on in heaven, that Jesus Christ is sitting on a throne He's reigning over all things perfectly, and he's in control. And the fact that he's in control is a good thing for us because it says he's making all things new, and it says that one day he'll wipe every tear uh, from our eyes. And so not only is he in control of everything, but the fact that he's in control is good for us because he cares for us you know, enough to make all things new enough to wipe the tears from our eyes. And so I was just really struck by that picture and that truth, that reality that Jesus is good and he's reigning. Um, 
And so that's why we wrote that song. But it really affected our music ministry at the church in a really positive way because I don't know. I think over through over the years, I was kind of. I mean, I've been I've been a worship director for nine years at this point, and I think if you do the same thing for a long time, you learn how to like fake it when you're having a bad day. So yeah. like. I could have been a, just a wreck with anxiety on the inside, but I would still, you know, do my thing, do my job, do what I've been doing for the past few years. But that was really a breaking point where I wasn't able to do that anymore, you know? Like, I had to talk about it. I had to tell my story. I told the story of what was going on with us, like, openly to the church. I shared what was going on with, like, the band, Ghost Ship, and, you know, the different musicians. And so I think God getting me to, like, a point where I kind of <sighs> broke a little bit and I had to be transparent and I had to, like, walk with people through the pain. Man, I would say <laughs> definitely made me a better worship pastor, you know, because I was having to, like, just lean on God for strength and people were seeing that. And I mean, that's really what we're leading people in. You know, we're as leaders, we're not trying to lead people, you know, by being perfect. And then you guys can all follow my example and being perfect. And then everybody's good. We're really trying to lead people in dependence on Christ. You know, like I lead my family by showing them every day that I have to lean on Jesus for all my strength. You know, like that's the main way I lead them is just reminding them, like, go to go to go to Christ, you know, like lean on him. It's in his strength. And so I would say our music ministry dramatically improved when I when I had to really lean on God's strength during a season of suffering. And I had to repent of a lot of things. I repented of a lot of sinful anxiety and what I mean by sinful anxiety is just anxiety that stems from not believing that God can do what he says he'll do. Like my anxiety was a was a product of my disbelief. Like I don't believe you're in control. I believe I have to be in control. I have to carry all this weight. So I'm kind of a nervous wreck trying to carry a bunch of weight that I'm not able to carry. So, man, I had to. I had to repent of that. And so, man, it's like Luther says, you know, like all of the Christian life is a life of repentance. And as a leader, I think I'm supposed to be leading in repentance. So if I'm repenting and I'm talking to people about it and I'm showing people how the gospel comes to bear on my life and my sin, I think that makes me a better leader and a better worship pastor. So, yeah, that's how it affected our ministry. It made it better. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Kind of switching gears, um, moving on with some more questions here. Um, and kind of back to the music side. Um, so with, uh, with your guys album, um, the good King and you guys have awesome. I mean, the whole album is great. I love it. Um, Thank but you. as far as like, uh, yeah, of course. Um, so when we talked to Zach and Adam uh, from Citizens and we kind of 
were discussing the whole Made Alive kind of breaking through onto mainstream radio. Do you guys have any plans um, or are, are you even pursuing that at all, trying to get um, a song or two, um, I guess, on the radio? Yeah, we're definitely, we've talked a lot about that because it's a really interesting thing that Christian radio, <clears throat> so we talk a lot about if our job is to proclaim the gospel through music, how can we do that in as many different contexts as possible, you know? So, I mean, when we lead worship at our church, that's one context where we can reach a lot of people with the gospel, you know, like thousands of people every weekend. Right. Um, and that's our main job, but we're always looking for new contexts, which is why we've done a lot of club shows in Seattle. It's why we play conferences. It's why we would go and play at a different church because we want to reach as many people as we can. So for that same reason, we would like to uh, get into the context of Christian radio as well. But one thing that's kind of crazy about it, as we've been trying to do that, we realized that like of all the different contexts, Christian radio is like one of the hardest when you're doing what we're trying to do. Like this is kind of crazy. Like we've done shows in Seattle at clubs and bars um, and people didn't think that was weird. But I remember a few years ago when uh, our EP came out and we were thinking that One God would be on the radio, we heard back from a few different Christian radio stations something to the effect of, well, this song is too narrow. And we're like, well, what do you mean? And you're like, well, you're saying there's one God, Jesus Christ. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's kind of like our whole thing. That's like what all of our songs are about. And we'd hear stuff like, well, you know, Christian radio is more about like, you know, talking about stuff that's positive and uplifting and family friendly. So like, you know, if you talk about love, that's like uplifting for everybody. But if you're like, there's one God, Jesus Christ, that might not be that uplifting for different people. And we're like, okay, well, we're kind of on uh, two different pages here, you know. So yeah. that was when we realized that, you know, Christian radio is actually a difficult context for us because, um, I don't know, we're just trying to do something really specific. Like we're trying to write music about the gospel, meaning like, here's who Jesus is, here's what he's done, here's how it comes to bear on our lives. And, and that, <clears throat> that is a relatively narrow, I mean, the gospel is the most inclusive and the most exclusive thing in the world, right? It's the most exclusive in that there's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. It's the most inclusive in that anyone, anyone can come to Jesus Christ, you know? So <clears throat> it's a little tricky when that's your mission. Um, we definitely have had a lot of opposition with that, um, which is a good thing. I think the day you stop ever hearing opposition to your message is the day you realize, well, maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm not telling the truth anymore. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think God's also, he's just... He's starting to bless that. Like we've seen more and more radio play in different areas. Uh, 
definitely been cool to see a lot of radio play in different countries like australia there's a lot of radio stations in australia that play our music and we're like wow that's cool like i never thought i'd be yeah getting a chance to like tell the gospel to somebody in australia you know that's pretty sweet but but it was interesting it was kind of funny how like the main single on our record uh on this full length was mediator which is first timothy 2 5 like there's one god there's one mediator uh christ jesus and that's about as like kind of narrow and to the point as you can be you know and so i think for that reason uh we probably missed out on some radio play with that one. <laughs> <laughs> hey that's okay man yeah totally yeah right on cool um all right so kind of following up on that um uh, and you, you spoke to this a little bit already but um why so why are you guys and i know all the other marcel bands and even just your church in general and pastor <laughs> Um, why are you guys so committed to writing like theologically rich songs, um, or even a lot of the, you know, you guys redo a lot of hymns and stuff. What's the, um, I guess, sp- sp- uh, just speak to that a little bit. Like what's the commitment there and, um, what draws you guys to that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of cool. Uh, like I was saying, I've led worship at a lot of different places before I came to Mars Hill. And I'd always thought, all right, well, part of my job is to lead people in singing in our gatherings, like lead people in singing in our weekend gatherings. And like, that is true. But if you think about that, non-Christians don't really sing when they come to church because they're like, this is weird. Why are we singing? We're not at a soccer game, you know? So essentially what I was what I was thinking, and even though I didn't realize this, what I thought it was my job to lead Christians in singing about Jesus at church. When I came to Mars Hill, I realized that's really not the the full job of a of a worship leader. Like our job is kind of the prophetic function of proclaiming the gospel and calling people to respond to it. You know, so. In our weekend gatherings, we proclaim the gospel to Christians. We, you know, because Christians need to hear the gospel every day. Like, I need to hear uh, that Christ died for my sins every single day because the gospel comes to bear on my life every day. So, like, on weekends, we're proclaiming the gospel to Christians, and we're calling them to respond by joyfully singing about what Jesus has done. But we're also proclaiming the gospel to non-Christians. And that was kind of, I didn't think a lot about that. Um, before coming to Mars Hill. But, I mean, we have, you know, our mission is to make disciples. Like, we've all been given the great commissions to, like, go and make disciples, to go and preach the gospel to people. And so our focus is really doing that through music. And it's been really cool to see what happens if you faithfully preach the gospel clearly um, I've heard a lot of stories, of people saying, man, I got saved, uh, or I heard the gospel for the first time in a song at church and I got saved, you know, like as a worship pastor, I never thought, I never thought I would hear stories like that. I didn't know that's what you were going for, but the power is in the gospel, like the message of what Jesus has accomplished and 
we're really just mailmen, you know, we're delivering the mail, we're proclaiming that message and trying to not get in the way of it. And when you do that, people get saved and it's awesome. I've really been, you know, speaking of like what we, what we're focused on, what our job is like, I've really been inspired by John one where it shows John the Baptist kind of functioning in the prophetic role. Like he's standing on a street with two guys and Jesus walks by and he physically points to Jesus and says, behold, there's the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And those two guys that are standing next to him, when he points, they turn and follow Jesus. And those guys end up following Jesus their whole lives. They're the first two disciples. One of them was Peter, you know, like they follow Jesus their whole lives and die a martyr's death. And so when I read that, I was like, man, that is like, that is really our job to, whether you're doing it through music or whatever means you can't like, we're just pointing to Jesus, telling people he's God, he has taken away the sin of the world. And then we're calling people to respond through singing, through following him, through giving through living on mission. So that is what excites me as a worship pastor is that prophetic calling to just point to Jesus, call call people to respond to him. Thanks for listening. As always, if you could do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It really helps us connect with more worship leaders over there. And head to thechurchcollective.com and connect with us. We want to connect with you as we all become better at what we do.